Hello and welcome to this latest update on the COP26 meetings in Glasgow with me, Ian Welsh. Wednesday was another big day in Glasgow. The first draft of a final agreement document from the meetings was released. In it, nations are urged to ratchet up their carbon cutting targets by the end of 2022, rather than the previous 2025 deadline. And there is a call for more adaptation assistance for vulnerable nations, alongside recognition that the mooted 100 billion of climate finance every year, which should materialise in 2022, two years late, is in any way insufficient. The draft also urges an accelerated phasing out of coal and subsidies for fossil fuels, but without firm dates or timelines. The proposals were met with criticism from campaigning groups. Greenpeace described it as a crossing our fingers and hoping for the best agreement. Many fear that a number of key nations, Russia and Saudi Arabia among them, simply won't produce new decarbonising plans in 2022. Other concerns include that the text will be watered down to reach a fudge compromise that can be agreed by the assembled 200 nations. Rallying the troops, the UK's Prime Minister Boris Johnson dropped into Glasgow and gave a speech urging the negotiators over the line, telling delegates that failure to reach effective agreement would not be acceptable and provoke an immense backlash from the people of the world before he immediately returned to London. A surprise move came from a joint declaration from China and the US with a new plan to cooperate in cutting greenhouse gas emissions over the coming decade, including on key areas such as cutting methane and emissions from transport, industry and energy generation. John Kerry, the US climate envoy, welcomed the agreement as a step towards closing the gap between the emissions cuts set out so far and those needed. The declaration came somewhat out of the blue, as the US and China had spent much of the COP26 meetings trading barbs, not least the US President Joe Biden's call-out of China's President Xi Jinping for not attending the Glasgow meetings in person. Another positive development was a commitment from 24 countries and a group of car manufacturers to end fossil fuel powered vehicles with a deadline of 2040. Among the nations signing up were the Netherlands, Ireland, Canada, New Zealand and the UK, the latter having already agreed to phase out new diesel and petrol cars by 2030, of course. The companies agreeing included Ford, Mercedes and Volvo, but not the world's largest car manufacturer, Volkswagen or Toyota. The US, Germany and China also declined to sign up. At the COP meetings earlier in the week, I was delighted to speak with Kate Nkatha, Commercial Director of Fair Trade Africa, about what she was hoping would come out of the meetings that would help farming communities in Africa and elsewhere. And apologies for the background noise. Kate, what are your impressions of the COP meetings in Glasgow so far? The impressions for me is that the fair trade farmers are here to really amplify their voices. So it's a great opportunity for them. And I'm glad that we're able to support them in terms of rallying their voices and getting the world leaders to really hear what the farmers have to say. After all, all the chocolate that we eat and the coffee in our cups is really from these farmers, the smallholder farmers. And we say thank you to the 30,000 or so supporters who have signed our petition. And the petition really just helps support the producer voices and these supporters are across the world from different backgrounds and industries, including businesses. So we just need to get the world leaders really to put behind the money behind the promises and the commitments that the farmers are asking for. It does feel like there's been a significant increase in the desire of the developed North to really put and commit for money. I mean, we heard a lot of money being committed last week around deforestation. So I guess it's now time for money to be committed towards the issues that are impacting smallholder farmers in Africa and elsewhere as well. Let's come back to that in a second, but, but why is attending COP important for organisations like Fairtrade? 
So for fair trade, it was important for us really to use this platform to amplify the farmers' voices. After all, they're the ones who produce the food and they're the, they're really that's where the supply chain begins. At the smallholder farm, one-acre farm, two five-acre farm, deep, deep in the rural areas. And farmers are really at the center of what fair trade stands for. So we have farmers from uh, Malawi, from India, from uh, Paraguay who are here, who've talked to several legislators and world leaders and the media to pass on this message. The farmers will tell you about why they need to raise their voices in the climate uh, space through fair prices, because we're saying uh, it's unfair to let the farmers, the smallholder farmers, invest in all the issues in terms of addressing climate change and mitigating or adopting the, the issues that are caused by climate change. And so the farmers are also saying that there's really no climate justice without trade justice. So a fair price needs to be paid to the farmers so that they can continue doing the things that they are doing to address the climate change, but also asking all the other supply chain partners, your manufacturers, your transporters, the government, the leaders across the world, to also do their part so that then the climate change can be, change effects can be addressed more comprehensively. It certainly doesn't feel just that farmers would have to pay for all the costs of tackling climate change. It's something that in a, really an entire value chain approach is surely the one that needs to be taken. Yeah, it's definitely not fair. What the farmers are doing, for example, in the cocoa plantations or in, the, uh, in West Africa or the coffee plantations in Kenya and Ethiopia, they're already planting trees. We have a lot of climate projects where women are already adopting use of clean cook stoves and you know use of uh, solar energy to meet their cooking, their cooking needs. But that is just the little that they can do. They need a lot more and they can't use all the resources, the income that they get from trading their commodities into addressing climate change. Because from the same funds, they have to feed, they have to take their kids to school and meet their health needs. So it's definitely unfair to get the farmers to support the changes that are required in the community. They are part of the solution. So what the, the farmers are also saying is, we know the effects. I mean, the rain doesn't come anymore at the expected time. And when it comes, it's too much. And so there's a lot of flooding. So they understand the effects. They're doing what they can, but it's totally unfair to let them carry the whole brand of the climate change effects. There feels, some of the sessions I've been in over the past few days, that there's a much more of an acceptance of the need for the cash-rich, resource-poor developed world to help the cash-poor, resource-rich developing world. Are you seeing this through your work? Are you seeing this hoped-for change occurring? Yeah, it's, it's interesting you ask that because we had the other day Boris Johnson mentioned that there's need to address deforestation so that people can enjoy guilt-free chocolate. And we've had uh, some countries in, in Africa, like South Africa, cutting deals with some European countries to support their decarbonization of their power process uh, elements. And countries like Uganda, for example, agreeing to change their agricultural policies to, uh, to support adjust climate within the African continent. But what we are also seeing is that the talk is good, but we're still not getting there yet. The traction, the energy, the passion is there, but I think what needs to be delivered is a hundred billion dollars annually that had been committed in 2015 during the Paris Agreement. The world leaders are now pushing it and probably they will deliver it, what, 2023, 2025? 
So it's still not tangible in terms of all the things that we are saying we need to do. We need to address deforestation, we need to decarbonize our power processing uh, processes, but it's not tangible yet. To, to get that and take it to the next stage, this week the environmental ministers are uh, trying to get all the deals agreed upon. It's been a hard time here at uh, COP, but I think it's beyond COP. How do we get globally? the leaders to continue supporting this, but even at country and regional level, ensuring that we are agitating to ensure that the tangible solutions to address climate change are delivered to those uh, who are marginalized. And Africa really is one of the areas that uh, needs huge support from the rich country. Are there any other things that you're hoping for for Africa from COP? I think Africa, we need to be a lot more assertive what we've also seen is uh, different countries making small deals here and there, but when you put those together, they're really not the $100 billion pledge that, that we want. So I think as Africa, we need to be a lot more assertive. We need to push harder as a block so that then we're able to get the resources that we need for our communities to be able to address the climate injustice that is going on. And trade, as from a fair trade perspective, trade is one of the avenues that we can actually use to deliver climate changes and justice in the system. As you say, trade is a way where a fair growth and fair route out of the problems can be done through trade if a fair price is paid to farmers in Africa and other developing yes. economies. Let's think about COP then. We're at the start of week two. This is Monday afternoon. Are you feeling positive for the outcomes from this week? We're still feeling the positive energy. We're getting a lot of people still in the streets within the, the blue zone, the COP itself, and the still getting the world leaders uh, to listen. I'll echo the words of our chairman, the Fair Africa chairman, Mr. Benjamin, on Monday. He said the promises without action are really useless. So ideally, we need them to commit. We are saying we are putting, uh, we are addressing deforestation in, in West Africa. Show us the money. As fair trade, we already have a mechanism in place. Our farmers are organizing cooperatives. There's already a mechanism that some of these programs and implementations can be delivered at community level. Traceable, trackable, and we're able to show that impact. So what we are saying is we need tangible actions to back all the commitment. And I think as we enter into week two now, that's what we want at the end, end of it. So with all the commitments the world leaders talked about, uh, let's have a mechanism that is able to track the money that has been received or will be received. And most importantly, Ian, before you let me go, is how do we get a big proportion to the smallholder farmers? During the last couple of years, only 2% of what has been committed and deposited by the world leaders as well as smallholder farmers. We're saying we need a proper mechanism where smallholder farmers are able to access this climate finance fund so that then they're able to address the issues at community level and have a ripple effect really across the world. As you see, it's time now for action on all these issues. There's been a lot of talk, a lot of promises, a lot of positivity. Now we need to see the action delivered over the course of the final few days of, of COP26 here in Glasgow. But for now, Kate Inkatha, Commercial Director, Fair Trade Africa, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Ian. A surprise star of the COP meetings in Glasgow has been Scotland's national drink. Not whisky, but the iconic orange fizzy soft drink Iron Brew. Candy marketers at the manufacturer AG Bar have a deal with the COP26 venue and the beverage is available throughout the various zones of the climate talks. Many delegates have been sharing their impressions of the ginger nectar 
And on Wednesday, US Congresswoman Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez posted on social media a very positive review, comparing Iron Brew to her favourite Latina soda, Cola Champagne. She had remarked that she'd not had time to try the drink, but quick as a flash, Scottish First Minister Nicola Sturgeon was in hand to present Ocasio-Cortez with a can of the drink, with photographers candidly placed. Other soft drinks are of course available, they're just not as good. Today, Thursday's theme at COP is cities, regions and the built environment and will involve discussions among local government leaders and the private sector on climate change. I'll be back tomorrow with an update on that and progress on the final agreements drafting. I'll also be talking with some senior pupils at a Glasgow school to get their impressions of how the meetings in their city are progressing and what they want world leaders to do. Until then, goodbye. Thank you.